and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. The following episode was recorded live at SHRM 2021 in Las Vegas. You may hear more background noise in this episode compared to what you're used to. Enjoy. On today's episode, I have Jeffrey Krasenek with me today. I'm really excited. We're recording on the SHRM floor. So Jeffrey, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's my pleasure and I'm excited to be here. Awesome. I'd love if you could start with telling us just a little bit about your background and your journey as to where you got to today. Sure. I'm a 35 plus year veteran of Wall Street and investment management, which is not your typical uh, role, but I, uh, I uh, take on the role of economist in, in many ways as part of my professional responsibilities. And part of that is looking at what's important to the economy. And I have gotten very passionate about giving people the opportunity to contribute to the economy through gainful employment. That's awesome. You know, your education has really focused on economics and investment markets, just like you talked about, but your career is centered around, and I quote, the twin pillars of potential economic growth, people, and productivity. What inspired you to move away from traditional market analysis to criminal justice system and employment? Well, the intersection of criminal justice system and the labor force is frankly a travesty in this country. And it is of such a magnitude, the problem, that it is actually holding back our growth and our productivity. Uh, when you look at the number of people involved, uh, just as a, a one way of slicing and dicing this population, 19 million Americans have a felony conviction on their record, wow. which is a huge, a huge impediment, not just to their being employed, but to their being employed to the best of their potential. So it's a productivity issue as well. Yeah, I had no idea that that statistic that was so many. It, it comes down to numbers. It's, it's just stunning. Yeah. Um, can you explain the topic around second chance hiring, which is really what we're going to dive into next? So everyone has a little bit of their own definition. When I use the term second chance hiring, I use it to refer to the hiring of people with criminal records, but not just giving them a job, giving them a true career opportunity. Uh, so there are different models of doing this. The model of second chance hiring that I call the true second chance model is one that combines a process for figuring out who's ready to turn their life around and then giving them the tools to thrive. I like that you you hit on ready to turn their life around because I think that is an important caveat as we think through just the different programs that are important to this population. What is the most important thing you think companies should know when implementing second chance hiring? The most important thing is to be very intentional about it to don't just say, oh, okay, we'll just give someone a job. You really have to look at this as a unique talent pipeline. But if you solve for, say, young men with crimes of violence, which is a large part of our prison population, yeah. you end up solving for all sorts of folks who are marginalized from the workforce. So you can actually use these tools even more broadly than the millions of people who you can bring up who happen to have a criminal have you seen organizations partner with um, prisons to work on these kinds of programs? Yeah, what's really interesting from the standpoint of HR and employers are 
this is really just another talent pipeline, right? You know, and like any talent pipeline, you need to figure out who you want and then yet give them the tools to succeed. What's a little bit different here is that you have all these potential partners who are there to help you that aren't necessarily someone, a service you have to buy. They're just there, they're paid for by taxpayers or donations. Often businesses to be good partners should partner with prison systems, re-entry nonprofits, job boards, and all the resources that are available to them. Churches, it's just stunning how many potential partners employers have in this venture. I'm always amazed at the pipelines that people don't think about. You know, I was working in a previous role, and I remember talking to somebody about working with the unemployment office, and they were like, what? We've never even considered that. So um, I think this is definitely one more thing for employers to consider. Um, how can substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, or housing further help, you know, those that are formerly incarcerated trying to get back into the workforce? I know that that's something that's um, important and passionate that you've talked about before. Yeah, those are big obstacles. When we talk about the gaps that people have that hold them back from thriving, um, you know, the typical gaps aren't the ones you're used to dealing with in a employment setting. They are very often housing, staying substance free. And so those are the tools that people need to thrive. Yes, that is stepping outside the comfort zone for many people in the employment realm. But the payoff is once people are determined to remake their life and be more than prove that they are worth more than their worst mistake, these are people who will, as one judge told me, run through walls for their employers. And that's a real benefit and that drops to the bottom line. Yeah. What about those who, you know, you know, being in HR, we got to talk about it, like recidivism rates. Like, what if you run into that when you have, when you've introduced this program and you have somebody who um, makes a bad choice? This is why it's so important to focus on the right model and to be very intentional about it. Because uh, if you are doing this right, you tend to have very low recidivism rates, right? You, you can have any employee, whether they have a criminal record or not, make a mistake, Absolutely. whether it's criminal or not, or can be a totally toxic influence in the, in the workforce. If you are running this model correctly, uh, you actually have a very low risk of, of recidivism. And we've seen that time and time again, even with large employers with, with the experience of hiring hundreds of people with a criminal record, they don't tend to see a problem if they do it right. So what's the right way to do it then? So, so the right way is, uh, like anything else with employment, a lot of it boils down to character. And that's very hard to kind of wrap your head around this group of character. But once you start to understand the barriers that people have overcome just to be present to apply for a job, if they've come from this background of typically deep poverty, plus all the structural barriers that are put in front of them uh, by the criminal justice system, uh, something called collateral consequences, the people who have overcome those are people of good character. Yeah. So it's identifying the people of good character. It's really hard for an HR professional to do that. That's why these partnerships with re-entry nonprofits that may have worked with someone for months or some of these nonprofits allow employers to start coaching and mentoring months and months before actual release from prison. That's why these become so important because they can attest to character, which is the core part. But character isn't enough because some of these barriers are so strong. Are so strong. It's also typically a lack of mentorship in these people's lives. So it does require employers to figure out, they don't have to do it themselves, though, though often they'll want to, some path for mentorship. So people who have never been exposed to 
how you're supposed to behave at work, how you're supposed to dress. And yes, starting on time really means on time. And <laughs> right. not, you know, all these things that we take for granted. You know, I learned from my father. Most people learn from their family or, or family friends. A lot of this population never were exposed to. So that's a critical element as well. It's interesting, the mentor-coach relationship, because I, I have seen that in a lot of spaces, that when you have that sort of um, dynamic and intentionality to things, that you can see great success. Formerly incarcerated people are unemployed at a rate of over 27%, uh, higher than the total U.S. unemployment rate during any historical period, including the Great Depression. Why do you think this is, and what are some ways we can help? Some of this is a stigma uh, that, that people face. And, and you know, I, I had one HR professional who's now at a company that is a fantastic second chance employer tell me, we were always taught don't go there. Mm -hmm. So there is an automatic assumption that people with criminal records are somehow going to be risk or bad, uh, bad employees. And that takes a while to get over. It also means you need to have pro the right process. So many employers have tried it, but without intentionality and knowing the model's success. And so then if they've had a negative experience, they tend to say, well, let's not go there again. Yeah. And so there's a lot of um, things that ha are, are problematic. And there's a reality too. Not everyone in this population is ready to rebuild their life. The, the models of success I talk about don't assume everyone. I don't think they even really assume the majority. It's about taking this vast number of 19 million people with felonies and finding the millions, it's still millions, yeah. who are ready to do more with their life and, and be greater contributors. Um, so, so there is that bad experience, that's there, the, the fears, and then there tends to be an underinvestment in these people uh, and these workers over their lifetime, including during the prison system. Some of that is changing and the prison systems are, are starting to understand the opportunity to uh, provide training and mentorship uh, while behind bars, and that will help uh, uh, create better outcomes. But as on average, and people of course aren't about averages, but on average, this is a population that doesn't have as high an average level of educational attainment, doesn't have um, social capital, uh, and so those are also things that lead to higher levels of unemployment. But 27% uh, is a complete waste that we can't afford. I agree, and it's fascinating when you look at other countries. And I'm, and I'm gonna miss, I'm gonna misspeak because I'm not 100% sure. I know I've talked about it before. I want to say it's the Netherlands. The 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 Netherlands and the Scandinavian countries and perhaps Germany tend to have much better outcomes. They are, to be fair, um, less violent societies, and so so there's some reasons that they can do better and then there are also some you know weird esoteric measurement issues so we never always talk about the same thing right. uh, but i think that they are uh, uh, they do have indeed have better outcomes uh, portugal's another one which has treated uh, addiction as a health issue and not a criminal issue yes. and so all of these things lead to uh, lead to better outcomes great models for organizations to take and mindsets for them to think about um you mentioned some of the good ways or the positive ways to address this. What are some of the major mistakes you've seen organizations take when they've tried to implement something? Sure, there, there are two models that, that we've seen fail uh, consistently. Uh, one is uh, what I call the disposable employee model. You just want a cheap employee, you collect the work opportunity tax credits, but you're not terribly selective, you're not terribly interested in mentoring in, in, in long-term career because 
on an hourly basis, once the work opportunity tax credit expires, they actually get more expensive. So it's a, it's a very narrow model of looking at things and you get what you pay for. Yeah. The other, I think, more common model is, is, uh, is simply one where they don't recognize the issues they have to deal with and the, and the unique characteristics of de- dealing with people who have been marginalized from the workforce for generations, right? It's a yeah. multi-generational problem. And they typically have told me, employers who followed this, uh, this uh, what I call the undifferentiated model, they said, second chance hires are either my best hires or my worst hires. And by worst, it's typically not you know, a danger situation or yeah. theft or anything. It's typically someone just doesn't show up to work or is not reliable or, you know, or maybe doesn't know how to take criticism or maybe misunderstands. Those are the kind of things that cause blowups. And the problem with that model, you know, you'd say, well, best employee, worst employee. Well, the average is average. Maybe that's okay. I think all of us who are involved um, in, in human capital management understand that the average of best and worst is not average. One bad employee undermines the good of multiple good employees. And that's why doing this the right way is so important. Yeah, I totally agree. When you think about... Uh, the companies that you've seen second chance hiring most successful in, is there a group of companies that, or or an industry or specific that, you know, this is a really good place for us to try to implement this more? It, it tends to fit just about anywhere. Again, you start with this huge population. I, I've met um, heads of departments at Ivy League universities who became justice involved uh, and, you know, so very talented, brilliant researcher, actually. Um, so, so you can find a fit anywhere. That being said, it's a little easier to approach and start with industries like manufacturing, where some of the classic concerns with hiring from this population are less of a concern. Most people in manufacturing um, are not handling money. They're not customer facing. So, you know, fears with regard to what happens to their customer um, uh, don't matter. Uh, you don't have uh, reputation concerns because you, you just want the end product. You, the customer doesn't isn't so concerned about who's, who's actually creating the product. Yeah. Um, and then the final thing in modern American manufacturing is a middle school job. You don't have to have a college degree or an advanced degree, but it's a, a job that needs training and expertise and experience, which means it can pay a living wage. And yeah. so that's a very potent combination. It's important that you mention the living wage piece because I think, you know, if you're listening and you're, you're looking at developing this kind of program, you have to take that into account because if you can't provide that, then you're just kind of perpetuating some of the things we talked about. Right. And, and I am very sympathetic as an economist, right? You, know, you look at minimum wage things, with, with, you know, with your eyes crossed because people have to be able to earn their keep. Yeah. So the solution is not to artificially raise a wage that's not sustainable. It's to skill up people. The good thing about this population is when you find the right ones, they are so eager to learn, so eager to better themselves that they're great. Uh, they're a great platform for building that expertise and helping earn that higher wage. So let's say you're listening and you are totally bought in and you want to go to your CEO and say, hey, I want to launch Second Chance Hiring and or at our organization, what's your recommendation on how they have that conversation? So a starting point, I have to recognize SHRM's leadership here, the Getting Talent Back to Work uh, program and certification is a great starting point. I like to think that the book I wrote, Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business in the Community, is also gonna help play a a role in uh, 
proving the giving proof of concept. This this really does work. There are businesses out there doing it. In, in my uh, talks that I'm giving here at Sherm and others, I always recommend uh, baby steps. You don't have it's not an all in. You don't have to be waiting outside the prison gate for the job application. You can test the water. One of the most effective things you can do is go find a second chance employer. Bring your executive team to see that it actually works and understand what it means to offer opportunity to people who are desperate to rebuild themselves and prove they are worth that opportunity. And that's very, very popular. And you can visit nonprofit partners, uh, make sure you're not unduly uh, penalizing people who may have a criminal record, but it's you know, 10 plus years ago, right. they've rebuilt their lives, right? Why, why would you treat them any differently than any other employee? It's all about getting the best employee for the job. It's not about charity, this is business. What a great point to make. I think you're absolutely right. It's not about charity. It is about community though, and it is about um, inclusivity to, a, to an extent in making sure that we are not forgetting this population because it's a huge population in our country. And that's a really good point. Uh, one in three, the tragedy is our criminal justice system over the last several decades has left one in three black men with a felony conviction. If you are committed to true diversity in your workplace, there's no way you are going to achieve that if you are not doing second chance hiring. You're simply excluding too many people. Our workforce will never reflect our population unless we are taking steps towards second chance hiring. Such insightful thoughts there. Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking the time on the Sherm floor to talk to me. This was a great discussion, and I will drop in our show notes a link to your book. Um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, I do have a website, uh, com, and there's a contact page there that they can fill out. And, and I really do read it the same day it comes to me. Um, uh, Korzenik is K-O-R-Z-E-N-I-K. Uh, I'm the only Jeff Korzenik on the planet, so if you can even get close, you'll find me. Wonderful. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com. 